Hi everyone, welcome to the in-between episode. Hi! Hey! How are you guys? Good, good. Um, as you guys know, <laughs> I got married. <laughs> Woo! So crazy! Congratulations! Uh, thank you. Yeah, it was pretty sudden and... I mean, it wasn't sudden, <laughs> but... That was quite sudden. Pretty. <laughs> well, it was yeah. quite sudden I mean, for me. It was me. like a proper wedding. Well, yeah. okay. The idea of you getting married is not sudden, but your getting married was sudden. Just to be fair, her guest list was also very sudden. It was a sudden <laughs> invitation. Oh, yeah. my other friend that. is coming. Um, we're open to like. <laughs> Friends as well. Do you want to come? And I was looking I mean, that, at that, that was the I think thing, Angela okay? has an issue. <laughs> I think she has Angela an issue, has and I think we do need to address it. Otherwise, she's never going to um, God forgive me. The tea, bless. Guys. God bless. God bless. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking of inviting anyone because I only knew that, that I was going to get married on this day two weeks before. So I didn't want, I didn't think anyone would even come or be able to attend. I knew my parents could make it because they're my parents, but I didn't think anyone else <laughs> would be able to on such short notice because that would require them to fly to Hong Kong. And you guys not being in Hong Kong, I didn't even, you know, think about asking because I didn't think it would be possible. Uh, but what, I did tell all my friends, okay, so this is going to happen, just so they're not shocked when I send them some photos. <laughs> and then <laughs> lives right across the border, and, sent, and she just said, well, I could come if you don't mind. And then I said, yeah, of course, I don't mind. And then she came. How do you feel? Do you feel different? Um, I didn't think I would feel different, but I felt a little different after the fact. Now it's I'm used to it and it doesn't feel that different anymore. But right after, it did feel like you suddenly have more responsibility in a way. I suppose um, we're now seen as officially family. Oh, true. So, yeah, so it's just that kind of familial oh. responsibility you have for a person or for each other that suddenly, yeah, that's a little bit different. I didn't think I would feel that. And it's like... I'm still not used to calling him my husband, but Ew. yeah, <laughs> it just still feels a bit weird. I'm like, also not used, used to, used to <laughs> hearing you call yeah. him like my husband. It is oh weird. I can't. Yeah. I think part of it is also like we've known each other mm -hmm. since we were like really young, like not adults young. And in a way, like we kind of get stuck in that. Like the people you meet when you're young, you kind of always think of yeah. them like around that age or mm -hmm. at least I, I, think I, I have that have it too. where like oh we played together when we were teens and we still have that dynamic mm -hmm. like that didn't change so it's like these two images in our minds like one is like okay mm -hmm. we're still the same teenagers we were but on the other like time is passed <laughs> and to be fair yeah. like we never have like super adultish conversation or anything <laughs> Exactly. And then now it's, it's like suddenly... If, I think, That's true. No. We don't talk about taxes <laughs> Never. or politics. No. <laughs> I think if you meet us now, like, separately in our normal lives, at work or whatever, we feel like mm. adults or we, you know, behave like adults. Hopefully. Um, but when we hang out together, 
the inner child comes well, out and yeah, yeah so it's a little bit yeah. weird for us but that reminds me of something it's it's already been a while since this happened but i was at work one time and i was um, working together with a co-worker that i hadn't really worked with before like i had seen her like i talked to her but when you're like working together you just you have more time for conversation and so somehow we got on like the topic of her family and then suddenly she turns to me like how old are you like 17 and i'm just like i'm 25 <laughs> i was like thank you for telling me i look so much younger but also like it's been a while since i to was 17 she you thought i wasn't young. even you done with very school young yet. oh thank you I think that's another thing about all of us, though. We look young. We act young, we look young. Um, I think most people our ages don't look old yet, so... Well, I mean, some teens nowadays, that's they true. look like they're adults. Like, you look at them and you have no idea how old they are. And then you ask and they're like 14 and you're just like, what the heck? You look like that's you're true. in your mid-20s. present themselves differently now. That's true. Yeah. Lena's wedding photo reminded me of her like prom photo, her prom outfit. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> really? I don't know why. It's like I just can't think. I'm just like, oh my god, high school. Because I think it's just because I usually don't wear makeup, so and yeah, because you the only times don't really wear like yeah. that kind of like fancy like you know, because that's not really your type. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. Dress and... You do I mean, look, look pretty. Really pretty. Thanks. Thank you. We're so happy for you. I wonder who's next. Well mm -hmm. then, Lena, have you prepared yeah, anything I mean, else for us? I didn't prepare too much, I'll be honest. I just thought we could kind of talk a bit about some stuff we uh, kind of touched upon a little bit in my story, which is the... Mm. Uh, so actually, I found the word for it, the actual technical word, because we didn't know what it was. When we were talking about it but they're called incorruptibles incorruptibles you have an idea what i'm talking oh, okay. about the death marriage uh, no no not exactly but it has to do with corpses uh, so remember in the story when um the bishop died oh yeah 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 with where uh, i was like How come oh he... i remember that because he Saint was like person. Saint yeah, so that's the thing when person. someone i suppose in the holy business passes and in the holy to... business is that how we're gonna break <laughs> yeah, this I mean, not just christianity but in other religions as well you know, a religious person passes and then their body stays in a good condition then oftentimes the belief yeah. is that they were very holy in their life at least in christianity i think the belief is that they're being prepared for sainthood so that's why their body isn't decomposing or anything. It's because they're turning into a saint. And that's why those bodies okay. are like, oh my gosh, this person was so good in their life. So, And it's a miracle of God, basically. People believe they're witnessing God sort of... Like they have a special blessing yeah, or, they, they or something Yeah, they kind of earned God. it in a like way. God approves yeah, God approved, what they did. So yeah. they are becoming a saint. And living people flock to this place or this corpse to get a bit of that holiness. That makes sense. So I mentioned that mm. there was a nun who kind of... Let me see. So she passed away in 2019. Her name is um, Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster. 
and she died at the age of 70, 2019. And then they exhumed her body, but she was she looked pretty much like the day she passed away. So everybody was like, holy shit, this uh, sister, Wilhelmina, is becoming a saint, or she's approved by God. So right now you can actually visit the church, I think. So it's in Missouri. People go there, they line up, and they want to be in her presence. So we kind of talked about that. Missouri. She still looks the same. Apparently she looks... Yeah, so when they exhumed her body, they were shocked because they thought, you know, they would see, you know, a rotten corpse or a skeleton. But she, if you look at photos, so you can actually Google it. Or let me let me send you a screenshot or something. You know when she died? Yeah, and so when she died she in 2019. Exhumed. And she was exhumed like a few months ago or something. So, or just, just recently. Mm. Oh, okay. I was kind of, I was kind of, I don't know why, but oops, <laughs> I got hiccups. I don't know why, but I assumed that she had died like she'd already died further Um, in the past mm. for some reason because that like thinking about it like that she died in 2019 like it hasn't been that long i just i i guess i'm curious how long something Mm -hmm. like the state that they that she was found Mm -hmm. in like this incorruptible state how long that lasts or if it lasts indefinitely is there like an yeah so that's date, the tricky or... bit so when it comes to these definitions of incorruptible sort of saints uh as long as it shows some sign of being incorruptible i think it can count as you know being incorruptible even if let's say now after a few months the corpse actually starts decomposing but if it showed any sign of it being kind of in a way supernatural then it counts but the thing is it's not that uncommon or it's not, you know, unheard of where bodies remain in a pretty good shape uh, naturally. So it's very dependent on the environmental factors, the condition of the coffin, for example, or um, the environment around it. Are you looking at imi- uh, photos? Uh, I, no, I'm, Are you looking I'm at pictures? looked at this article because it was... There's this article saying, like, last chance to see miracle body of nun, and it said, like, people were allowed to touch her body and pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a little controversial oh, where people... They touch her? Like, sometimes that's... people even brought their kids to touch the body. And people were saying that's very disrespectful to the sister. Oh, but then... That the, is disrespectful, the nunnery, yeah. like The other nuns at the same nunnery or wherever she was based that they said that if she were alive that's what she would have wanted she was very kind she was very like she wouldn't have said this was disrespecting my body so i don't know who are we to say what she would have wanted but yeah so that's the case of Hmm. sister wilhelmina and remember when i mentioned this angela said something about uh buddhist monks also kind of trying to preserve their bodies after they die so i looked into that a bit as well Mm -hmm. and it is a practice in some branches of Buddhism where they see that also as a sign of enlightenment. So if you manage to get your body in that state after you die, it means you've, you've reached enlightenment or something like that. So it's a bit similar to the Christian version where it's a way to prove or if your body becomes like that, then it means you're... A whole a yeah, live and, Buddha. And people then kind of worship maybe your corpse or part of your body that remained or some kind of relic like um the sometimes finger relic surely yeah yeah it's very common it's like when you're when your corpse is burned mm. what do you call it burnt it's not burnt. Uh, 
cremated. Cremated, yeah. And like cremated. you have like huge pieces of like fingers left. It's usually called like shoyuzu in Chinese.、Mm-hmm. And then people、yeah. used to like chao bai, pray. <laughs> yeah. You get a temple. <laughs> Basically, yeah, exactly. You kind of whatever relic you get out of it, you kind of make a shrine around it, and then people go to visit that. But also, you have to personally already、mm-hmm. be like、mm-hmm. some sort of、uh, practicing monk. It's not just any random person gets、yeah. cremated, and something doesn't get cremated properly, and suddenly they're like, "Oh, this person." No, you have to already be part of the faith and like be a practicing. Yeah, member yeah. of the religion. Thank you、so、for the translation. English. Okay. It's you're it's, welcome. <laughs>、um, Sharira. It's from it's from Sanskrit. Yeah. Sa- Sanskrit. I think it's Sharira, but I'm not sure. It, but it's spelled S A R I R A. If you want to look into it, um, in English. And remember, Angela, you said something about how they would prepare their bodies. So th- that's one way when you cremate someone. And then parts of their bodies remain. That's one thing. But then there was this other branch of Buddhists who kind of purposefully prepared their body before death in order for it to mummify more easily. Yeah. So self mummification, and that's something I kind of want to just tell you a little bit about. Because I still remember when、mm-hmm. I took because I took so many classes on、um, death and how like、mm-hmm. death was seen. <laughs> No, it's quite normal. We had a shit ton of classes <laughs> on that, like different rituals and stuff. And you basically see, like, people in the past, they would kind of know where their limit was, and once they knew, I think they were more comfortable with the concept of dying, and they accepted、mm-hmm. it more. So they would prep the process. Unlike、mm-hmm. how in like modern society we're just trying to prevent it from, we're more like trying to prevent it or delay it from happening.、Mm-hmm. It's more、mm-hmm. like the attitude towards it is different. So then they would take more time on like, oh, it's time, and then people are. Well, it makes sense, right? Because pretty much all religions they have this. Concept of what happens to you after you die. I mean, there's the concept of heaven, there is the concept of reincarnation, and it's basically like this isn't all there is. Good things are to come after you've lived your life. So I think where there was more emphasis in the past on like religion, when there was less science getting involved as well. They, it was more just that belief that that belief system was stronger in that way. Like, oh yeah, the concept of heaven. Like, when I die, I go to heaven, or when I die, I get reincarnated, or I go and reach nirvana. I think that was just more prominent in people's thoughts than it is now with like science and I guess medicine being what it is, like being able to prolong life. Yeah, they well, because of their different beliefs, they view death differently, and especially for these monks. So what they pretty much did was they starved themselves to death, but they didn't see it as a way, a kind of suicide, but more as reaching enlightenment. That was their training in a way, and it's quite interesting. So they, if you think of, you know, how like now there's a way of dying, like cremation, where you're made into this fungus growing thing. But in order to apply for that, right before you die, you have to follow a very strict diet. So that's kind of、mm. like similar to yeah, in a way. 
Oh, how many people actually go for that? Honestly, I'd like that. Like if, I mean, you can become like this biodegradable pod thing and they plant you like in the soil with a tree and then like you help sustain the tree and stuff. I think that's kind of nice. Like I'd like yeah, my I mean, death the idea to sort of help I just feel like you can't along. use it on everyone because that's, and people have to take yeah. And I think it's not that cheap either. Very pricey. And it's also yeah, like so very selective. But I'm just saying like mm. how... The attitude towards how different people accept death mm. will change the way that we treat ourselves right before death and how we face it like as human beings. Also, I just want to say that we just talked about how it, like that method of burial is like really expensive. But if you think about it, all ways of dying are expensive because if you get put into a coffin, like the coffin is expensive, then like the whole having a grave dug a gravestone like those things are expensive and like cremation isn't cheap either like whatever way it is it's pretty expensive and life isn't very cheap either so i love how we're way, phrasing like, this it's like it's dying is expensive now <laughs> it is because like so many like because you also have to buy like a plot of land like True. in a graveyard for your grave like i mean it, it is you don't have it to, is expensive though. like it's, i think it's not really it depends i mean yeah you don't have to but dying or like people dying and that ritual of like mm. sending them off into the afterlife whatever it may be it's become very like ritualistic i think like in i think it's always been like no it's always been ritualistic ways of life I mean, all religions it's... yeah like pretty much everywhere and to all people it's pretty ritualistic because it's about like seeing yeah. that person off and it's for like the ones that were left behind to like mourn but i feel like now it's become like a business because there's money involved pretty much everywhere like it's not just this ritualistic send-off anymore it's just people are trying <laughs> to get to money wherever there's yeah. money to get just to be fair guys it's always like yeah. the um Rituals towards death is, has always been about power, money, and like. Yeah. That I mean, if you think about here, um, Xi'an and the and the terracotta warriors. I mean, that was a grave, and the Even pyramids. Even then, it's like, like if you just graves. look at like how. So yeah. You know the process. Even I still remember one class. It was specifically about ancient Greece. If there's one person dying in the city. Everyone, all the women living in that village will drop whatever they're working on and go out and yell and mourn and cry. And that was just the practice. And oh, wow. that was just to show that that person was a respected person. Like, you know, you've had like a good, proper, you were a proper person before you passed away. That's actually really nice. Because I feel like nowadays there's so many people who's passing just sort of go ignored that i feel like it's very nice that no matter what you acknowledge everyone i mean it can in that way i don't know if you've heard of these uh practice in china where you hire, hire people yeah to cry at someone's wedding future julia here lena obviously meant to say funeral at this point instead of wedding yeah oh that yeah, I have. Have. yeah, oh, yeah. like the, it's kind like, of what like what is the purpose though if it's not genuine right like in a way it's because i think at least in China, it's because of their beliefs that if there's not enough crying, then, you know, it might not be helpful for that person in the afterlife or something like that. 
it's I'm not really this, sure, but it's it's really common actually. It's more common than we think it is. So mm-hmm. like, cause we know that it happened in China, cause that's what I found out、um, when I was taking those classes. How common these themes are? How genuine could it be that this like everyone's dropping their stuff off and like mourning and crying and screaming and like acting out? But it's more about expressing, and it's more about like culturally. That's the proper way of doing things. And I mean, I think if you think about it, it's not about it being like this genuine reaction. It's about just having, ta- like,、yeah. taking that moment to acknowledge, like, that this person passed. Because I mean, it, I think I feel like it's similar to sort of taking like a moment of silence when someone passes. I mean, for people that. Like we're very close to that person. I guess you could probably talk to them in your head, like during this like minute or however long, where everybody's just quiet. But it's just about taking that deliberate time to just acknowledge. Okay, we lost this person, and it's not gonna have the same amount of emotions for everyone. Yeah, but it's just I think that, it's more like, about respect, respect to that person and like. Showing how influential that person was. I mean, there must be a difference. Like, their perspective. I think it's just for me personally and my own values, or that's not a way I would like to organize a funeral for myself or. No, I don't want anyone. I, I don't want anyone. <laughs> I don't want to hire anyone crying for me. Yeah. I want to do like a. Yeah. No. I don't want、exactly. just random strangers. Again, <laughs> it seems like it's more very. <laughs> Superficial. I just want a pre-funeral, where it's like, guys, come party, like、right. I'm dying, party, <laughs> party your ass <laughs> off, celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. send me off. Um, we're getting way off topic. I still haven't been able to say what well, I wanted to、oh, say、so. well, about、yes. the about the month. We are very but... sorry, but this was very interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we don't have that much time left, but just to give you some. Interesting information, some fun facts about what the monks did. It doesn't sound very fun, <laughs> and it's um so it's actually part of Japanese Buddhism, or it's it's pretty much in Japan where they actively starve themselves to death to prove a point in a way,、um, oh, to、okay. put it very sim- simply, and it's called Sokushin Butsu. It's the practice where they enter this mummification process while they're still alive. It's also very specific to a region in Japan, in the Yamagata area. So it's in northern Japan in a specific time period, and what they would do is they would fast in a way or follow a very strict diet for years, even like up to a decade. So、um, Wikipedia says three thousand days. I've read somewhere else where it says a thousand days, and they would just eat. Oh wow.、Uh, They won't eat any cereals, so no wheat or something like that, no grains. Yeah, no they grains? just eat kind of trees, whatever they can find in a forest, in a way, and that would basically eliminate、oh, their、okay. body from fat. Then when they notice that, or when they feel like okay, I'm dying soon or something, they would stop drinking as well, so their body dehydrates as well before they die, and then they would just meditate and pray, or kind of chant, until they die. And then, because their body's already water-free, dehydrated, and fat-free, it helps, or supposedly helps, their body、uh, stay odorless, at least. Yeah, or odorless, or not really decay like a normal corpse would. That sounds like the process of mummification, but like 
before. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Especially like the dehydration yes, self mummification, and that's pretty fascinating. And I think you can actually wow. see okay. uh, one of these mummies. So I think the most famous one can be viewed in. You guys make me want to dig out all my old research papers. Like I bet. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you you studied something really fascinating. I feel like we could talk about this for ages. Like that was such an interesting conversation just now. It is very very fascinating, and yeah, there's a few temples I think where you can find these mummified monks. I'm trying to find that one really famous one. I'm not really sure. Huh. I didn't look make too much research do too much research about this, but. You can find one in, oh, Shin Nyokai is one of the mummy's names. So if you just Google Shin Nyokai mummy, you'll see a picture of this monk who kind of wears a pointy, like a hood. Shin Nyokai. Shin Ryokai. Shin Nyokai. Oh, Nyokai. I thought it was Ryo. Yeah, so that, that, that's kind of, I think, the f- most famous, that's the most famous uh, self-mummified monk. And just a final little side note, but actually the most impressive mummy that's preserved is in... So I don't know, Anja, you might know this, but uh, Ma Wangdui, have you heard of Ma Wangdui? No. So Ma Wangdui is a... Of group of graves or ah uh, and the that. thing and and uh it's an archaeological site basically in Hunan I in know. Changsha. It's the thing where it's and in in the stone right on the stone wall. No. No 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 no. So this was um basically an archaeological archaeology site where they discovered tombs hmm. of this woman and later also of her husband and another person, but. Um, that's one of the most well-preserved mummies ever found. And the difference that it has, along with um, some other similar mummies that were found later, is that like, unlike the mummies in Egypt, they were still soft. You could still bend their bodies. They, when you touch their skin, it's still sort of like flesh. It's, you touch it and then it bounces, kind of bounces back a bit. And oh. those mummies were like over 2,000 years old. And yeah, what? it's super fascinating. And it's interesting because she was... So when they opened up her body for the autopsy to see why she died, they were able to see, like, take out the the organs. So the organs weren't taken out like a typical embalming. That's kind of scary. That's scary to yeah, think Yeah, but she about. was... Apparently, she was the biggest foodie ever. So she was buried buried with um, a lot of food. And like tableware, and it's it's really impressive and cool. But yeah, it's it. That's a girl after <laughs> my own heart. It's wow. very interesting. There are like documentaries on YouTube that you can just have a look, and it's fascinating how her body is still so fresh. Like there was one archaeologist who said, if you said this was a body you dug up from like a year old body, I would be impressed by how well it's preserved. But it's from over two thousand years old. Damn. So her name is actually Sindre. So if you just search, well, just just search Ma Wangdui and then you'll find all the info. But if you're interested in these kinds of, you know, archaeology and historical corpses, then this one is super interesting. We should revisit this. I mean, it's we not should definitely come back related, to this at some point. Because she died of natural causes. 
It's such a Is it